0: Welcome to Founder Stories, the podcast, conversations with David Adelsheim and the 10 founding wine families of Oregon's North Willamette Valley. During each episode, David Adelsheim, founder of Adelsheim Vineyard, will sit down with another early pioneer to recount the collaboration and formation of the Willamette Valley wine industry over the last 50 years. In this episode, hear from Joe and Pat Campbell as they discuss their journey with David Adelsheim while overlooking their original plantings. Enjoy.
1: On a Saturday afternoon in early 1975, Ginny and I were driving into Portland for some shopping when we came to a horrible realization. Having recently met Pat and Joe Campbell, We'd been invited for a meal in the house that they just finished building on the site of their newly planted vineyard. We'd been looking forward to comparing notes with the Campbells on building houses and planting vineyards. But we'd spaced out the invitation, and of course, back then, there were no cell phones. Chagrined, we called from a payphone as soon as we could. Pat said, No problem, come tomorrow instead. I remember, we had rabbit. We were able to chat with Pat and Joe on a sunny October 9th, 2020, sitting in the original Elk Cove Vineyard that they planted in 1974. Pat and Joe, thank you yeah. so much for letting us come to, this is This is the original planting, right?
2: Absolutely, these are it is. Uh, our original vines. 46
1: years old. In 74. Yep. yep. So, and Dave, thank you before we start for yeah. all your hard work. Oh, we'll yes. see, we'll see, yeah. we'll see.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and not only for this, but for everything yeah. you've done for the industry. Okay, cut that out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all right, what I wanted to do in starting this video is is to talk about you before you came to the winery, before you bought this property, before you were here, because... The group of people that really founded the industry didn't know each other before that. I don't, I don't believe that any of them other than uh, David Lett and Chuck Corey and Bill, Full, uh, Bill Fuller who were in a class at Davis for one year together, but that anybody else knew each other. So Pat, you grew up in the Hood River area. Right. Agricultural, what was the role of wine if there was one in your family?
2: Um, there wasn't really any role of wine in our family except for my uncle's dandelion wine, which I never tasted. But um, we, we did have a lot of farming going on. We raised apples, pears, strawberries. And uh, so it was great fun. I got to drive the tractor and do grafting of fruit trees. And uh, those were probably my most important jobs. But then there was pulling brush and other things as well.
1: And growing up, on a farm like nobody else in the wine industry at the beginning, I can believe. Um, was this something that was in the back of your mind as you and Joe were sort of deciding your way in the universe, or were you trying to get away from it? or
2: not at all? No, I definitely uh, when we moved back to Oregon from South Dakota in seventy two, That was my goal, is to somehow get into some kind of farming. And uh, we were living in Hood River at that time. And uh, we looked around the valley for south-facing slopes. Even in the back of our mind, we started thinking grapes. Because we knew the industry was starting in the Willamette Valley.
1: I'm going to get to you. Don't (laughs) worry. (laughs) (laughs) So you were looking around Hood River, right? Right. At the the beginning. Uh huh. It's one thing to grow up on a farm, and to be in South Dakota, and it's another thing to be looking for land to grow grapes. I mean, that isn't a necessary follow-on. What happened in there?
2: Well, for one thing, when we were in South Dakota, we did make wine uh, from choke cherries and the, the small uh, grapes along the creeks. And, um, and not that they were great wines or anything, but we got the idea of fermentation and how magical it was. And uh, then when we came to uh, after we bought our property here, we started making home wine yeah. more seriously from Washington grapes.
1: Mm-hmm. So I want to Turn temporarily, Joe, to you and ask roughly the same questions. Where did you grow up? In Hood River. Did you? Right in Hood River. In the town. My parents owned a small motel. It had originally eight units. And uh, the idea was that was my parents' work as they started into the years of retirement. It didn't work out too well. Uh, the, the, the main highway, Highway 80, bypassed Hood River. Yes. And every month, my parents would scrape together the amount of money to pay the mortgage. And wow. so that was a big worry in my family. And uh, I, well, I started work when we moved there in 1949 uh, delivering newspapers. And I just added up the other day I had 11 paid jobs before I graduated from high school. So although I didn't grow up on a farm, yeah. uh, I learned the value of hard work. The necessity, the necessity there, thereof. If I yeah. wanted to have any extra spending money. Uh, and I also worked on the the farms. I, uh, was, was that, that farm? more in the summer? or? Yeah, in the summers. Or during harvest. I picked fruit. I thinned fruit. I met... Had in a strawberry patch, picking strawberries. We both were picking strawberries. Yep. And was that in high school, or when oh, was no, that? Oh, uh, no, when we first met, how old were you? I was nine. She was nine, I, I must have been 12.
2: <laughs> but we picked strawberries in the same field. We did. And he and his buddies were very impressive.
1: Strawberry. Well, bitters. we worked hard. And <laughs> one of the uh, businesses my brother and I started was we both went to the head of Safeway locally, arranged, made an arrangement where, we, where they would buy all the blackberries, wild ones we could pick. So we had boards and so forth to get to the best blackberries. And we sold crates and crates of blackberries to Safeway. And was that multi-year or was that just one year? I think it was just one year. Yeah. I had had, less difficult jobs other years. Yeah, I mean, picking blackberries is not the world's most fun. No. Yeah, For sure. So when you were nine and you were 12, did you continue to know each other from that time on? No,
2: no. It was just that we were in the same strawberry field, and, and I was admiring him. And then when... I was in high school, and he was in college. He asked me to go out,
1: and- uh, My best friend was dating her older sister. And he said, hey, she has a younger sister. And did you know that you already knew who she was? Uh, I'm not sure, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, three years is a big deal. Yeah. And when you're in grade school and high school, and even the beginning of college where were you going to college that it would make sense to see somebody in high school in Hood River? Well, I went to college at Harvard. But uh, that's not Harvard on the Columbia, not that one. (laughs) But I was the first from my high school. My high school had existed for maybe 50 years. And I was the first to ever go east of the Mississippi River in 50 years. Wow. And then my younger brother also went to Harvard. But I had a full scholarship, I I was admitted to Yale, they didn't offer me a full full scholarship, and so I couldn't go. I don't know that I knew that. That's, I mean, coming out of scraping together two pennies and going to Harvard is no mean feat. Well, (laughs) Dave, one of the things that I think helped me get in, I think my work background, Mm. the fact that I'd gone in American field service, but also. Wait, 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 the American Field Service was like to Iceland or something? No, no, it was to all different countries for the summer. And I went to France my junior right, year. Right, you see, okay. Yeah, and uh, anyway, you're supposed to take the SATs, I believe in, I don't know, February, April, something. Yeah. And uh, instead of taking them, it was on a Saturday, I would have to go to Portland. I asked my principal, I said, I'm supposed to take these ACTs. He said, oh, I've heard of them, right? Right? Well, this is in 1956. Right, I've heard of them. So I was to go to Portland, and it conflicted with one of my basketball games. So I phoned the admissions office at Harvard. I said, I can't take the SATs now. I have a basketball game tonight. And when I got to Harvard, the dean came up to me and he said, you're... The guy thought (laughs) your basketball game (laughs) was more important. (laughs) I didn't take the SATs till summer. But before and did had they admitted you by then and and No, No. they admitted me really late. Amazing. Yeah. But I think that's part of what helped me get in. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So you were going to Harvard, you were finishing up high school. Uh You went to college after that. Yes. And where did you go? I went
2: to University of Oregon.
1: That doesn't sound like an ag school.
2: No, no. Uh, no, uh, no, it, it, I studied French and German and uh, I enjoyed that very much. And it came in handy later when we went to Burgundy and Champagne. <laughs>
1: so you both got through school. Where, when, did you, when did you get married?
2: <laughs> we got married uh, in um, 1966 in uh, San Francisco, and uh, so at, something else. So has right, at, right after uh, col- right after college, I moved to San Francisco, and uh, I worked at a jazz nightclub for a year and a half, which I loved. And um, and Joe was at Stanford by that time in medical school, so his brother-in-law. He knew Joe was having problems with his marriage, and uh, so he, he brought him by where I was working, and, and uh, so we started dating again.
1: We both had had prior marriages. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I had two sons at that point. And they were a big part of our labor here in the vineyard during the summer. First year. First year these vines we were planted. Uh-huh. Don't tell Osha. We <laughs> taught my oldest son, he was twelve years old, to drive the crawler and he would drive the crawler through the vines and his younger brother would water the vines oh out of, yeah up, well With you the of a tank yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah off the tank yeah wow. okay so we've we've gotten you through college mm-hmm. through one set of married partners you get married and you're getting your M.D. at Stanford, and then I assume you're going to South Dakota for an internship? Or? No, no. Actually, I, had, I was visiting my sons in Sweden. My wife had taken the two boys to Sweden, and I got a notice from my draft board. You either come back and enter an internship, or we're going to draft you as a private So I came back, (laughs) I came back, and uh, it was, it was the middle of the year, it was December. Mm -hmm. So internships, that was halfway through. Right. So I went to the head, to the guy, uh, Harvey. Harry. Harry Harry Weinstein. Harry Weinstein, we we were called Harry's boys. And I went to Harry, I, I had applied there before at Mount Zion in San Francisco. And I told him the story and I said, I'm gonna be drafted. And he looked at me and he said, when do you wanna start? And I said, this was on a Friday. I said, Monday. Fine. And and you started? So I was part of two internship classes. And following that, I had a choice. We were either gonna go to Canada and try to immigrate or I could go in the public health service and serve the Indians. And that's what I got to do. Wow. And that was in Pine Ridge, South Dakota? Yeah. So there's a fair amount of time between bachelor's degrees and somehow deciding (laughs) that you wanted to be in the wine business. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I understand making home wine in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. Did that just come out of nowhere? Was that because you were both hippies and you were going back to the land and? Probably the latter, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, at first. Well, but-
2: I wouldn't say so, exactly. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, it's like uh, growing up on a farm, mm-hmm. um, I was always into food preservation, canning, mm-hmm. bread making, and uh, freezing. I actually won a trip to Chicago with a demonstration I did on freezing corn. <laughs> Which is pretty amazing, but um, anyway, so it it kind of goes along with winemaking. Is like okay, you're you're taking fruit, you're doing something with it to Preserve save it, it for later. Yeah, yeah.
1: and at, at some point, you were interested in drinking this product. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we we uh, we started visiting tasting rooms around Stanford oh, when you were in, when you were in Stanford uh-huh. at Stanford uh-huh. because we didn't have money to eat at nice restaurants in San Francisco. right? And then uh, an orthopedic surgeon who I studied under invited us to his home and served us really good wines. The, the best burgundies. He,
2: and he actually said, did hey. a blind tasting. We'd yeah. never been in a blind tasting yeah. before. And it was, they were all white burgundies. It, it was phenomenal. I'm sure Le, Le Montrachet was there.
1: So that really piqued our interest, piqued our interest. And
2: um, yeah, and and then um, while we were um, getting ready to go to South Dakota, uh, we splurged one night, and Joe and I went out to dinner at uh, Le Bourguignon, at a restaurant in uh, the Tenderloin in San Francisco, and uh, we had a bottle of '69 uh, Le Musigny, and. And you know, from then on, it's like, okay,
1: <laughs> I think yeah. it's Pinot Noir. <laughs> so that was really, really, really a direction toward Pinot. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I think when we looked around here and said, well, "What are people planting?" It was obvious, it was at that time it was Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Uh-huh. So you finish your public health service. Gig in South Dakota. Yes. You come back to Hood River. You start looking there. Did you start hearing about what was going on in the Willamette Valley? How did you come 70 miles west? I think we found this property. We were looking for farm property. And at that time, I was working in the the emergency department at Providence Hospital on the east side of Portland. So, so we, you were living in Hood River and commuting yeah, into Providence. Yeah, Okay. and so uh, we saw this advertised in the local newspaper, the property.
2: In Actually, Portland, actually or? the Oregonian. Was the Oregonian? Mm-hmm.
1: 112 yeah. acres, uh, $69,000. And we said, hey, let's go look at that. Had you met anybody in the wine industry at, that, at point? that point? Not at that point. Well, we had
2: been hearing, actually, my dad had even been hearing about what was happening uh, as mm-hmm. far as people planting grapes. And uh, so, you know, we've been hearing rumors about, okay, these people coming up from California and planting mm-hmm. grapes and sounded pretty good.
1: And so, Dave, when we came here to look at the property, we, we were at the head of the driveway and we looked down we said, this is it. That day, we uh, negotiated a contract to buy this property, $500 down, and $2,000 a month. And uh, I had a really good job in the ER. I mean, I was making yeah. good, good money, Yeah. and so that's. Plus, we were
2: willing to live in an 8x35 trailer <laughs> house. For a year? Yep.
1: No, I was just, I mean, that seems so, so sudden. But you were in Portland, so I mean, that makes some sense, and But this isn't Portland. I mean, this is... But I always commuted. I commuted to Portland. I commuted to the ER in Longview, Washington for years. Um, (laughs) Right before I retired from the ER, which was only five years ago, uh, I commuted to the Oregon coast. And uh, I was still working 24-hour shifts. But I got a little sleep. (laughs) Don't scare the patients. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think as we're winding up this pre-time, we need to drink some of the wine that you've opened for us today. Okay. Which is 2012 Laboem Pinot. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean You want to tell the oh, story? Well,
2: okay, the the M. Boheme- Field is is up the hill. You can actually see it from um, from here if you in, look in straight straight way, yeah. up the hill.
1: Well, actually, yeah, you
2: can. Uh, yeah. And uh, so what we did, uh, we wanted to plant this in 1985, and so we took cuttings from all of our best vines in in the upper field over there, and uh, we had them propagated and uh, rooted, and then we planted uh, the M field. And so, I I guess, what do you call it? Something massive? uh, Oh, oh, uh,
1: selection massal? Selection massal. So it was not one clone that you took cuttings from? No, yes, it was. Well, it was was
2: all the plants that we had gotten from Chuck Corey. Yeah. And we think it's pomard, quite sure. But there were other things mixed in there. And there were certain vines that looked like, okay, these are smaller clusters. These are healthy-looking vines. And so we're going to take our... Cuttings from those those yeah. plants. Also,
1: if they if they tended to ripen earlier, at at that point in time, yeah, that was really it. important. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because uh-huh. we have a cool site here. Yeah. But yeah. everything on this property until <laughs> last year is own, own rooted. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah. no grafted.
2: Cheers, David. Cheers. Cheers.
1: And, and Dave, the 46 year old vines look great. Yeah. That, and they're own rooted. I mean. And this is sedimentary soil where vines are more endangered by phylloxera yeah. than in basaltic yeah. soils, hypothetically. Yeah. Very nice. It's pretty yummy. Mm. find the property 1973 right right and right. you move in a you move a trailer here you and it was the two of you and your two sons no they no, were living they in they Sweden they still in Sweden okay but they would come, come in the summer in the summer okay earth is the oldest right right and when was she born she was born in 68 so you already had Eartha and Adam at that point. Yeah, they were both.
2: uh, Adam was born in South Dakota, and then Eartha was a year old when we moved to South Dakota.
1: Dave, I delivered Adam in South Dakota. (laughs) (laughs) He did a good job, too. Yeah, I did a good job. (laughs) (laughs) I said, here's a winemaker. (laughs) (laughs) And Anna was born sometime after that. Yes, in McMinnville. Yeah. So I, I now have to tell... The embarrassing story (laughs) of how we met. Oh, no. (laughs) No, no, dude. Yeah, No, no. Actually, it wasn't how we met. We somehow met you um, before you had wine and before you had a winery, I'm assuming. Uh Um, Absolutely. And and you invited us for a, a Saturday to come over to the house that you had built by then, which would have Mm -hmm. meant that it was 75?
2: 74, it was probably 75 by then.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. 75. Mm -hmm. And um, so whatever we did, we, Ginny and I were driving to Portland when one of us remembered what our commitment was to be (laughs) at your house for lunch. Yeah, <clears throat> And so we called you on our cell... No, we didn't. I mean, there were no cell phones, <laughs> no, no, no. and so we were sort of... Boy, did we screw up, and... Uh, not a problem. And Dave, we went that first year with no phone for in, in the, yeah, yeah, in so the you. Yeah, so you probably...
2: You might not have even been able to call us. No, I don't know. No, yeah. by, by then you were in the I think we had because, a, we had a yeah, phone by
1: then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because pretty quickly you started... Building a, a house, and I assume that you did a lot of that work yourselves. Yeah, we did. We did, we did all. We did it all. The very uh, much.
2: well, we did the the framing, yeah. the roof, the electrical, the plumbing, uh, and uh, the sheetrock. I mean, it was all very exciting because it was all
1: things that. that were were new to us. and You had to learn each of those steps. Well, we learned pretty pretty much, but uh, we did a crappy job. (laughs) We didn't (laughs) do a very good job. Uh, But we realized that. uh, But I still think some of our kids' best memories are from that house. And we didn't learn enough to be able to turn an old barn into our first winery where we made where we did the electrical, we did the plumbing, and well, we that made was wine out in the middle. Where was that where was barn? A, it was it,
2: just pretty much straight up the hill by um, the road before you come to that parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. Where the house was.
1: Yeah, where the house was. Oh, it's where the barn yeah. was. Oh, yeah. yeah. but it was on this side um, of the road. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, and on but, the east side. Uh, we made wine there for five years. Wow. Uh, so I, it and served, you, it served and, it's perfect. And in seventy-seven or no, not 77, no. In probably 78, you threw a big party where you invited at least the wine community and probably the actual customers uh-huh. to come. And I, I, we certainly came to that and bought a little wine. Um, I looked around yeah. in the cellar to see if there was anything left, and I don't think I've I don't think so. Left. Yeah. yeah these. You know, 77 was for us, I think, a pretty disastrous vintage, our first vintage. It was probably the coolest summer we've ever yeah. had. But then 78, 79 were really good for us. Yeah. Yeah. And by that time, we had been been to France, read everything we could about winemaking. Um Pat, of course, had a great background in farming. I had a good background in chemistry. And so, you know, things things fit together. One of the questions I have is a background in farming and a background in chemistry is great. And even making home wine is helpful. But all of those things are a far cry from running a commercial vineyard and winery and mm-hmm. making wine mm-hmm. and more absolutely more incredibly selling yeah. wine. Absolutely. But Dave, that was true of most, not all. I mean, some some... Came out of UC Davis, which we didn't. But but, I don't think that gave them a great advantage. No, I I, I mean, did 77 was a tough year. Oh. Was it compounded by a certain lack of experience in making commercial wine? It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. But by, like I say, by 78, 79, we had great well thought would be really good success.
2: I think the best thing we did in '77 was to uh, buy French oak barrels from uh, your friend Becky Wasserman oh, yeah. Yeah. and, uh, and that, was, that was really, really wonderful to have such good oak, and then we realized, okay, the wine's a little thin, but uh, at least we have really good oak and Of course, oak has been a major part of our winemaking ever since then. Mm-hmm. For
1: the mm. Pinot Noir. Yeah, who did you first meet other winemakers in this founding generation? And did you go looking for them? Did they find you? What What was? Well, Joe has a story about that. Yeah, the first person I met was Dave Lett, and uh, oh yeah, it was a very brief meeting <laughs> through a screen door, as I recall. Uh, well, you went to his house. Yeah, I went to his house, and it was pouring rain. And Dave came to the door, and he, and he had a terrible cold. And again, it was pouring rain. I don't, I don't even remember what month it was. Um, January, probably. But, but I said to him somewhat seriously, I said, uh, Dave, we're, we're, I'm glad to meet you. Uh, we're thinking of planting grapes, wine grapes. And he looked at me and said, why do you want to do that? And, you know, that's Dave. Yeah. Yeah. But And and did that conversation then change after that, or was that... I think it did, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it did.
2: I think that most of the people that we met from the the very young industry, at that time we met at the Tigard Fire Hall, where we would go Mm -hmm. and uh, get together with other people, taste rarely, but sometimes some of the wines that, that people had made and uh and so we we and then we uh in seventy six we worked at uh Tualatin Vineyards and helped them with their harvest some because they they were right up the right the hill from us, mm-hmm. and that was a good learning experience mm-hmm.
1: did did you work in the field in the winery in the winery yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, just volunteer labor yeah. No, but that uh, that's actually quite smart uh, yeah. way to sort of have commercial quantities of grapes around. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: and that was after our trip to uh, to Champagne and Burgundy, uh, which uh, we we ended up picking grapes in Champ Champagne mm-hmm. and uh, and then visiting some wonderful people in Burgundy uh, and. Uh, seeing what they did there. And I think that's when we really started getting the idea, okay, we need to sort of emulate Burgundy. And that's when we decided that even early on in our winemaking, we started making single vineyard wines because we knew that the site was so important for giving the wine the character. And so in 1979, we made wines from three different soil types, three Mm -hmm. different vineyards. Dundee Hills Vineyard, Wind Hill Vineyard, and oh, then yes, yeah. Vineyard.
1: Bowers, yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. And so we bought, we purchased grapes from those growers. How well, many years? Probably 20,
2: 25 yeah. years. For, 25 for Wind Hill and probably 20 for And
1: they became Dundee. Uh, some of our very, very best friends. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: well, you and John Bowers were both physicians. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, did We did, had that in common. And there, was there a, a medical cabal? No. Um, where. <laughs> no, no, there wasn't. Uh, John is the only one I knew initially. And then we uh, we met uh, Dan, is it Jepson? Oh. We bought from. Was um, Dan Jepson? Jepson? We bought. Uh, from
2: Alpine Vineyards? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He's a physician. Uh I had
1: no idea. Yeah, he worked uh, at at the health service at the U of O. U of O, yeah.
2: And then, of course, rather rapidly after that, we had the physicians at uh, Veritas and uh, uh, Highland? No, no, I don't think Highland. They were more engineers, weren't they? Uh,
1: There was one physician in that group. Okay. But there wasn't a secret medical society (laughs) about... No, but there was a society... Uh, John Bowers, I think it was probably his idea, we formed a group, patterned after a group in San Francisco that's physicians. And we named it the Society of Physicians for Wine and Health. And it still exists. There's probably 75 members. And they're mostly retired physicians, but they bring in uh, at a couple of dinners a year, they bring in Experts in the science of wine, the health of wine. Uh, Yeah. But you were also involved in, or or certainly John Bowers was involved in the founding of the Knights of the Vine. Yeah, right. And became the Oregon Wine Brotherhood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I was involved with that also because of John. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But John was really the the main push behind that group. Well, and he didn't have a winery. No he no. had a vineyard right. yeah, right. and neither did Sandy for that matter. no nope. no, no no. and eventually you bought sandy's vineyard we did. from them and actually one of one of the great uh, privileges in my life was uh, speaking asking to speak at his funeral. But Sandy was just a great person yeah them.
2: we had, we had been uh, uh, friends with them for a long, long time, and then when he uh, in uh, ninety five when he decided he wanted to sell the vineyard and retire, he said, well, I've decided to sell Wind Hill." He always talked very <laughs> formally like that. And, uh, and we said, oh, that's great, Sandy. And he said, and I've decided to sell it to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and we had just bought- We just bought the property at Mount Richmond. Mount Richmond. Yeah. So we said, I'm sorry, but we can't afford it. He said, I'll make sure you can.
1: But it was so funny, Dave. I remember sitting, I think it was a coffee shop in Forest Grove, across from him. And we were negotiating. And I remember saying something to him like, uh, Sandy, I think we need to pay you 7% interest. Whatever it was at that time. And uh, Sandy said, oh, no, no, that's too much. Maybe six. <laughs> but that's the way the <laughs> negotiation right. yeah. was. It was a backward negotiation. A backward. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think the wine industry has benefited by being beloved by Oregonians, whether they were grape growers or customers. It it, it was so such a special thing mm-hmm. that was being created, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. whether it was Sandy Reese or or some customer that we barely know, delighted in whatever role they could play in helping. Mm-hmm. It, and I think. I I think there were genuine benefits to being in that founding period and Mm -hmm. having people that were so devoted to us. I agree. And you know, when I knew, Dave, that that was true was when I saw the the Oregon wine license plate. (laughs) And I thought, okay... They do like it. And you saw how popular like it, was. it was. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it was so the popular. most successful license plate that they had launched in, oh. a, in a period. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that? It, I mean, I, I don't know that it still mm. is, but I think it was successful beyond their wildest yes. dreams.
2: And even back in, in the very early days, and I know you worked at, uh, was it Lomlet? Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh yeah. The restaurant industry was, for the most part, really supportive and made sure that they had some Oregon wines on their list. And uh, and shops like Strawhecker's, mm-hmm. they made sure that uh, mm-hmm. that they carried Oregon wines, and so um, it was very, like you say, very very supportive. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And Dave, you know that other places like New York and Boston, it was like pulling teeth. Oh yeah, in the early years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. yeah. So, starting in '77, you were selling wine. What was your approach to selling wine did you sell i mean whatever but i mean where did where was your wine sold in yeah. the beginning
2: okay well um mostly right away uh we started doing you know special events at even at the, uh, the our old building there mm-hmm. and uh we did what we called the riesling festival and then later on when we had the, the newer facility, we did jazz festivals on Memorial Day weekend and uh, Labor Day weekend. So we, we tried to go to the public as much as possible, but we did try to sell to stores. We had a distributorship, was selling some of our 1979 wines um, and How it was, was a national distributor. Hmm. Um, anyway, they, they started buying our wines in 1979. And, and was and that so, Robert Haas? Robert Haas. Robert Haas. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. I had forgotten you were yeah. with Robert Haas. Yeah. So, they. how long were you with them?
2: About four years. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. And then we started getting our own uh, smaller distributors, which really works out a lot better, I think, yeah. than having one national. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: One of the things I'm asking many of the wineries is about the role of women in the founding of the industry and the difference between Washington County and Yamhill County, hmm. Uh, hmm. which I've, I, I believe that in Washington County, um, six or seven of the women in of the couples that were the founding wineries there were meeting. I mean, it was Marge Volstead and Nancy Ponzi hmm. and Mrs. Fuller, Virginia Virginia yes yeah. exactly Virginia Fuller yeah. and a few others were meeting very early on Absolutely. to promote events to promote tourism to promote the idea of mm-hmm. people coming out to the wineries mm-hmm. and they then, put together the very first Oregon wine brochure exactly mm-hmm. <sighs> yes. were you part of that group no i, I wasn't part of that group yeah yeah uh, and, and Yamhill County wasn't I mean, you're officially in Yamhill County, but it's very close to the border. And it's my take that in Yamhill County, we were much less focused on special events, particularly further south than you, further away from Portland. And, I mean, Diana and David Lett did Thanksgiving and maybe one other weekend, but most people didn't do very much. When mm-hmm. we started, we didn't do anything for a while, mm-hmm. and then finally tried to do our own Rain Revels event, And mm-hmm. but it was, it, it was not the focus. The focus was on finding distributors and mm-hmm. then uh-huh. working with Stephen Carey and the other wineries to find distributors around the country, and so it was very different than what Washington County did, mm-hmm. which was much more focused, maybe with the exception of the Ponzi's, but most of them were much more focused on local. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but but you had found your own independent route with, mm-hmm. I mean, going to Robert Haas early on, uh, what would be called in today's world a broker, mm-hmm. uh, to represent you. Um, Actually,
2: they came to us. but uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, the other thing I, I'd like to say about the role of women in wine mm. and in our, our early industry is that so many of the women worked so hard not just on marketing but they worked at the in the vineyards and they worked in the wineries and I've always been pleased that Joe has always given me half credit for the winemaking uh, mm-hmm. that I I was responsible for and one of the things that really helped me Uh, Was We took a trip to California, and the purpose was to go visit with Mary Edwards and Zelma Long. Because at that time, they were the only two women winemakers almost Mm -hmm. in the whole world.
1: Yeah, no, it was a very different universe. And
2: and, Mm -hmm. Ann Noble came on as a professor at UC Davis a few years after that, and she was just, you know, blazing new territory. Right. But then now you look across
1: the world and they like, oh, my gosh. No, I mean, yeah. it, it, it's a very different world. Yeah. I mean, some of the things that happened back at the beginning, The, the uh, there's this famous photo of the beginnings of the Yamhill County Wineries Association. And I didn't remember this, but Diana told me that all the couples were there and the, the photographer was going to take... One th- of- one of the guys, All I Only one the winemakers, which by his own definition became the guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. pretty and, sexist. And that, that photo yeah, he has, was very
2: sexist. That photo has uh, stood the test of time, too. You see it everywhere, right?
1: Well, it has, but uh, it, 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 it now, for me, has a very bleak backstory. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, Dave, I agree, uh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, one, one thing we did And this is my recollection. You know how there's warning labels, of course, on wine, like there is on tobacco. And we always thought, well, you know, what about the healthful aspects of wine? So for a few years, at the bottom of our label, it said, Joe Campbell, MD, winemaker. And I think you're the one that thought that would help our marketing. Yeah, I, I, I really, I, I really resisted it. <laughs> and yeah, I every- thought, okay, for marketing, I guess I can agree to that. But I never I kind of wish that. I never would have done it, too. <laughs> I know, you did <laughs> yeah, oh. it. Yeah, was, but it was for that
2: reason. It was for marketing.
1: It was- well, and Susan, Susan Sokol Blosser said, uh, as we were having this conversation, that she realizes that she enabled some of this. That it wasn't all guys doing it to the women. That women were coming out of a, a society at the time where women didn't have the roles of prominence. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she, she. Uh, it was interesting to me. To uh, and and she and you are two of the women that have actually run the business um, mm-hmm. in a way that um, many others never did. Mm-hmm. And. And it was interesting to have her explain what she thought, that she had some complicity in it too. And David, I think one thing that's different, and you can call me if, if I'm wrong on this, but I think as a couple, we worked in the vineyards and the winery. And it was equal, and the it's equal. And I don't know, we never had a other winemaker. Yeah. We brought Adam on yeah. and taught him for five years before he took over. But we never had a vineyard manager, uh, a winemaker, other than us. And I don't know if any other wineries did that. No, and I mean, my perception of what you did is you were both in charge of both the vineyard and the winery, and that neither of you was the vineyard manager, neither of you was the singular winemaker. Neither of us claimed that. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, and, and I think that's a unique story. Yeah. Um, it, it speaks to getting along with other things. That's <laughs> <Well, laughs> you know, true. Well, true. You know, one thing I, when I knew we were going to do this, of course, I started thinking of all these things. And I thought to my bringing, when I was brought up, my two parents ran a motel a small one, seven days a week, and they worked together. They did almost everything. My dad made beds, you know, they cleaned together, but it was seven days. And I thought back, well, were their roles different? Well, they tended to be it sometimes. I mean, my dad, in order to pay the mortgage, would stay up till two in the morning. He would leave the lights on. And a customer came in at two, three in the morning, he would. Put him in and a room? Sign him in. Yeah. Wow. And, and so uh, I had that example. Yeah. I, I think if you... Certainly times were changing mm-hmm. in the 70s. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was not the 1940s and 50s, mm-hmm. but it also wasn't what we see today. I mean, it was a very different world, mm-hmm. and not just because we didn't have cell phones. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think... I think the example that you presented to in essence the world of a a co-management is pretty unique and uh, even today that almost doesn't exist. Do you know if you, have you ever met another couple with an equal role in this? Oh, I haven't
2: really thought about it. Mm
1: Matt, would you discover on the back of the bottle? Would you pick that up and point? Sure. That out?
2: Yeah. I'm very proud of this. It says 1979 Pinot Noir, Willamette Valley, Pat and Joe Campbell winemakers. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that, that's so, a that's a pretty profound statement, in fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was very proud of it. Yeah. As the wine industry developed, were there aspects of the Winemaking community that were important to you uh, enough to spend time outside the winery and outside medicine and outside what you were doing to be involved in legislation or what whatever events.
2: I just as I remember it back then, we we did get to the meetings at uh, the Tiger Hall. Uh, fire hall, and uh, and that that was important to us to get together with other people there. For a brief while, I was on a committee, and I'm not sure even which committee it was. I can't remember, but we, we really had our hands full here with our family. Right. And, Three kids uh, on top of... Trying yeah. to do everything that we were doing with our vineyards and our mm-hmm. winery. So I... I but I... I do remember really being so happy that there were people who did this for the labeling legislation, for uh, assessing attacks on uh, grapes so that we could use it for promoting winery. I mean, marketing and also for research.
1: Right. One of the things that's amazing in the wine industry is that there is a second generation that was brought up scared to death, <laughs> um, and yet <laughs> has really taken over. And and it's not just Oak Cove, of course, but wow. Adam's got to have been one of the first and uh, certainly taken well, Ponzi
2: yeah. probably right about the same time. Yeah,
1: probably mm-hmm. so. Yeah. But 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 Adam has really taken Elk Cove and really, it's really his in a sense, and um, even as he's honoring what the two of you have done, but he's really grabbed it and has is, is really made it ever more successful. Did you consciously think about what would happen to El Cove as you grew older? David, I don't think I did. I think that after the two of us worked with Adam for five years, uh, we just had confidence in him that we could walk away and that we needed to walk away and to let him really take control. And we just had total confidence that he would do that. And uh, I mean, mean, he wasn't, prior to those five years, he wasn't gonna do it. No, He, he graduated in political science. We thought he was gonna be a lawyer. And uh, he didn't, uh, he came to us and he said, I wanna be a winemaker.
2: Yeah, and it was one of the happiest days of our lives because by that time, we were getting pretty tired.
1: <laughs> you know, we ended up doing this for 20 years. And Adam actually is, I think it's on his 21st year. Yeah,
2: we, we did it for 21
1: and now he's 20, 21. 21. Yeah. And and then uh, we're so thankful that Anna joined us and does all of our social media, incredible photography. Um, A lot of our marketing you know, our marketing online. online. Now, I mean, we're doing better this year, we just heard, than last year. Before the virus, we're doing better than before. Really? Yes.
2: So so one, one thing we haven't talked about uh, very much, but uh, is, you know, how important it was to be able to keep track of records, keep track of, of all the licensing and all that, which uh, I did a lot of that, and Joe helped with going down to meet meet with lawyers. Well, I did all the BATF <laughs> reports. Yeah, BATF stuff. And, uh, but, uh, but we quickly got wind of uh, Irving and Company, who has done a lot of the uh, uh bookkeeping for a lot of the wineries. And uh, that was one of the things that uh, Jack said to us is how important it was going to be for us to empower Adam and give him half ownership. And I'm not exactly sure which year that was, but it was quite early. After he'd become winemaker? After he'd become winemaker,
0: Yeah.
2: right. And, And I think that that's worked out very well for us. And I think for him as well, he really feels like, okay, this is my baby.
1: Yeah. Oh, I, I think so. So mm-hmm. so the process wasn't foretold when you were being winemaker, while, while you were doing it. But once he came to you and, and said that that's what he would like to do, obviously you were pleased. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he worked with us for five yeah. years. Oh, I get that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, he did all the tough stuff.
2: And he was very, very cautious in the beginning when we decided we wanted to buy uh, the Mount Richmond property, which was 102 acres. Uh, he, he walked the whole property with us and was really, really concerned about, okay, do you think this will be all right? Do you think this will be all right? And, and you know, really thinking ahead. And, uh, and, of course, that property, along with the one that we bought across the road accounts for like 325 acres of our vineyards. So um, mm. incredibly uh, important to know that this is a good place to farm.
1: Yeah. Well, and then, then you've got the two properties in the Shalem Mountains as well. Right. Was that, mm. was that started before? Was Adam in that house early on? No, we purchased their grapes for how many years? Oh, I think about five years. Five years. Yeah, that's right. Of course. And you did. then, yeah, we bought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and did you buy the grapes uh, from where you live on in the basaltic part of Parrot Mountain before uh, you? No, no. We
2: never bought those grapes yeah. until we owned the property. I think we were buying those grapes did when you, you bought yeah, them. Yeah, I think yeah, you were. Several, yeah. several wineries <laughs> That's right. Them. And there's. There, yeah. There's one or two. There's still, still. I think just one. Yeah.
1: And I, I forget. Summer,
2: I think. Well, Dave, I guess you probably know by now that I've always admired you for the work that you've done uh, for the Oregon wine industry. Mm-hmm. And um, and one of my best memories, more socially minded, is when we came to your and Ginny's home and uh, you were having a, a big feast with uh, Becky Washerman, who was the barrel, the person we were buying barrels from for quite a few years. And uh, I don't know, you just were so hospitable, sociable, so welcoming. And and I always have felt that way about you and Jenny. Nice. Thanks. And now about Eugenia as
1: well. Yeah. Thank you. And David, as you may know, the two of us are very apolitical. Not very political. More so now than ever before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh yeah, I always just admired the, the legislation that you helped put through and all of the work you did on that and the labeling. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like I say, we just weren't involved in that. Yeah, no, and, yeah. and I, I... One of the things that we're teasing out by talking to these people is kind of what was the area where they were comfortable each of them and, and nobody was nobody was doing exactly what somebody else was doing mm-hmm. uh, and' it's, it's kind of what made us powerful The thing about uh, the thing that I always talk about when I'm talking more generally about the Willamette Valley wine industry is the, the focus that we had on making great wine from the beginning and Obviously, with the two of you working together on that, were you referencing Burgundy in the early days, or were you, uh, how were you trying to make progress on making better wine as, as you think back on that? I think in the vineyard more than anything. And it, my recollection is that uh, Richard Smart came to Oregon from Australia And he had done research. It would have been in 1984. Oh, yeah. Because he published, I think, something in 1982 uh, with Syrah in Australia, where he was really uh, emphasizing opening up the canopy, leaf pulling, exposing, you know, to control disease, uh, to ripen fruit. Uh, all of those things, and, and now today, I think everyone does that. Right. Yeah. Everyone who wants everyone to make good Pinot Noir does it. does yeah. that, right. right? So those were the things uh, that we didn't invent, and I don't think he invented either. But he certainly you no, know, and Koblet from Switzerland had a lot to do with that too. Yeah. But um. but 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 you're right. I mean, he Richard came to the first ever cool climate symposium that was held Eugene that the OSU uh, Food Science Department really had organized. And uh, it, was, it was a little based on what had gone on at Davis a couple of years before their centennial. Mm. But um, we wouldn't have ever had all these scientists uh, in Oregon at the same time if it hadn't been for that first cool climate conference. Mm-hmm. 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 Absolutely. And so that made a huge difference, I thought. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but I think that, uh, of course, now it's very very difficult to find great bottles of Burgundy because they're so frightfully expensive. But in the early years, when even before we started making wine commercially, we were buying twelve dollar bottles of the finest Burgundies. DRCs. And, uh, and, and, and so there, there's a high bar there, and, and, and of course, it's something we've always kind of wanted to go after, mm-hmm. and not I don't know whether we'll ever achieve it, or if we do, whether people will think we achieved it, <laughs> but uh, we're working on it.
1: That's a pretty high bar. To, it's uh, a high bar. Yeah. yeah. But we actually bought those DRCs in Forest Grove.
2: Well, no, and then we bought some from Henny oh, Hinsdale from yeah. The,
1: yeah. the warehouse, yeah. Yeah. most of them. When you look back at the 50-plus years that the wine industry has existed in the Willamette Valley and the 47 years that you've been in business, or 46, mm-hmm. whatever that mm-hmm. math would work out mm-hmm. to be, are, are there a lot of things that you wished you'd done that you didn't do? Yeah, you know, not made the mistakes we made. (laughs)
2: Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, we could have made better wine in 1985 if we would have done more thinning. We did make probably one of the finest Pinot Noirs from Windhill Vineyard that year, just because they had a small crop. So you can think about that, or you can think about, okay, why did we ever try to ferment uh, Pinot Noir in a in a 3000 gallon tank, right? <laughs> uh, with no cooling, and, and I guess we did have cooling, but anyway. Yeah, it's just, I mean, so mistakes, but we did learn from them, for sure.
1: And what are the things that you think back on that you did right or that the Willamette Valley industry did right that makes you proud? You first, I mean, well, what, what you guys did first. Well,
2: I think maybe one of the first things that we did, and this was on the advice of Chuck Curry, is we planted our first vineyard, as you can see, it's uh, six by seven. So that was very, very good for getting the kind of quality that we needed to get in our, in our grapes.
1: The, um, the narrowness the narrow, of the road. which was, I mean, we were at 10 feet uh-huh. when we were planting. So this was extremely narrow. Yes. I mean, this is now a standard uh-huh. planting. Yeah. But, yeah. David, I think the other thing we did well, uh, my income, we didn't use it to buy a fancy car. Instead, we bought a uh, Lamborghini tractor and we inherited a Ferrari Tractor, <laughs> and we drove about an eight or ten year old Buick. <laughs> you know, on the side of the Buick, with with the dust, the kids wrote Birdmobile because we would drive it through through the vineyard, Trying to Red, chase getting rid of birds. Redder out. Yep. oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those early years. Oh yeah. Now they have a lot more to eat, and they're a lot. With global warming, they don't get here and they don't go. don't get here that early. Yeah. No. I, th- I thought it turned out pretty good. <laughs> we're, I have
2: to say that... We're, we're still
1: married. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're very, very pleased with, with how it's turned out, but I, I think it's like still a work in progress and, and certainly this year is is uh, throwing some real fright yep. into us and as if you can look at, okay, look at the forest out there in the canyon and... Are we going to be able to survive um, forest fires and climate change? Uh, so it's, it's pretty frightening, but yet at the same time, we have a great crew. We have our, our vineyard manager's been with us for over 20 years, our, our assistant winemaker for, was it 18 years, Anna? Wow. And, um, and then, of course, Adam for way more than that. Uh, and then we have many people that have, are working for us, in uh, like Jose, who's in charge of our bottling line. And he's been with us for over 20 years. And we have vineyard people also that have been with us that long. Yeah.
1: And, and, yeah. Oh, go ahead.
2: Oh, and, that, and that provides real kind of comfort and consistency. to. Yeah, and
1: doing. a historical knowledge of how yeah. you do things, yeah. Yeah, I sure. think, David, I'm very proud that we've been able to provide health insurance for our full-time workers, all of them, and we've provided a retirement program for them, although not all of them use it. Right. Uh, yeah, we're very proud of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm gonna take this opportunity to do one more toast, but for do that. doing so many things correctly, Congratulations to you. (laughs) Thank
2: you, Dave. Oh my gosh. And congratulations on 50 years. That's
0: wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Founder Stories, the podcast. This episode was produced by Adelsheim Vineyard in partnership with House Below Productions. New episodes are released monthly and you can find them on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Visit our website, adelsheim.com 50 years to watch full interviews of David Adelsheim with the other founders of the Willamette Valley wine industry. And join us as we pay homage to half a century of lofty dreams, pioneering spirits, and world-class wine.